Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, and we have some of the most important people in the studio here with us today. This is Aubrey Morgan and Jake Morgan, and what they do is they help us um, go and get these, these calls that some people can't get through, and they deliver them in here for us to read. So their parents, uh, Kristen and Shane, they answer the phones for us, and we just wanted to thank you for coming. So you guys go get to work. Thank you. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer if we can. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We're grateful for all you do. We ask that your spirit will be here with me, with our listeners, with the, uh, with the station and the people who are working here tonight. Uh, be with us and help us to have your spirit and to speak the truth in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young teenager, my dad had a 15 or 18 foot fishing boat. And we would take that out in the Pacific Ocean with my brothers. And um, often we wouldn't drop the anchor because it was too much work to pull it up. And we would sit kind of drifting and um, fish and talk and converse and, and kind of get lost out there on the ocean and what we, what we were doing. And it was very easy to kind of go adrift. Sometimes we would look up and we would see ourselves uh, headed into a pier or into some pilings or uh, a jetty of some sort. Sometimes we were headed into the surf line and my dad was probably always aware of it, but I, it seemed to me like I'd just look up and we were headed for danger and he'd start the boat and we'd take off. This show is very much like that as I've experienced it in that I have a specific agenda and always have. It's the reason I wrote the book I wrote. It's the reason that I established the website I established and it's the reason we have this show. But sometimes in a call-in show, it's easy to get adrift because we're so busy in conversation about other topics, and these are important topics. I would never want to limit our show to just one topic or idea, and I invite you to continue to bring everything you have to the table. But sometimes we get adrift, and I just want to redirect and get back on focus right now. And I've said this many times, but the most important thing to our ministry, to this show, is for Latter-day Saints to experience genuine spiritual rebirth through faith in Jesus Christ. That is for them to be able to say, I have been born again. I know my place with God. I have had this gift of grace come into my heart. Give me a new heart and a new life. Latter-day Saints to be able to say that is a primary importance to our ministry. Also of import is the LDS view of the Bible. For LDS people to say the Bible is the holy word of God, infallible, I trust it. Those two things are really the only part of our mission. So it could be said that our mission, our ministry, is Jesus first, religion later. Jesus first, religion later, and God will handle those religious issues, in my opinion. Now, man, all peoples have a need to worship. God imbued them with the need to worship something. If you look at uh, Aborigines, if you look at cannibals, as someone mentioned to me early, earlier, everybody will worship something. Now, some people worship money and some people worship material and, and other people and, and rock stars and celebrities. And, and some people worship God. Some people worship church. Some people worship the devil, but you're going to find out that you're going to worship something. There's a, a singer you're probably familiar with of old uh, Bob Dylan. 
remember he's saying, yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's true. God has given every person a built-in need to worship the same way he's given fish a built-in need to swim. And I believe that he's done this for us as a tool to help us get back to him. And we're going to find that when we worship the false gods and images, they crumble and fall and fail us, but he never does. And that's why he's given us this, everybody, this need to worship something. You'll have to come to a point in, in your life of what, you, what you're going to choose. Corporations and institutions and uh, religious groups or churches have kind of capitalized on the idea of worship. They realize that people need to feel like they belong. They need to uh, associate. They need to put their attentions and they need to worship and all these things that are part of the human uh, need factor. And so institutions and corporations and churches have capitalized on that and they've kind of presented people with, hey, come do it this way. This is the right way or come do it with us. We're gonna get you closer than anybody else. And, and uh, it's very interesting because when it comes to organized Christian religion, it seems like they take one of two approaches. Now, it's not certain, but it seems like they take one of two approaches. They take a very legalistic approach to church, or they take a very liberal approach to church. And both of those approaches have their pros and their cons. Now, probably the most the best example of a legalistic church is going to be a toss-up between Mormonism and Muslim. But in the Christian uh, world, Baptists too, they have some legalistic approaches. But let's talk about Mormonism. They have a top-down authority, and, and, and what the prophet says goes, and it goes all the way down, or the stake president for his stake goes. They have name-brand rituals that are associated with the church, and they're the only way that someone can live with God again by participating in those rites or rituals. They have dress codes that are very legalistic, and if you and they're associated with worthiness often. Dress codes. Um, there's standard rites of passage in their priesthood, in their going on missions, in uh, being married in the temple. All these are legalisms that help the the LDS community conform to what the church says is the package they need to follow. They have standardized organization. You'll often find uh, Mormons take a very proud look at the fact that you can go to a church here in Salt Lake or in Virginia or in Bali and the structure is going to be the same, very similar to a McDonald's. When you go into any of those, there could be a few different items on the menu, but you're going to have the same kind of corporate structure. That is legalism at its best. Um, and so it's very, it has its own culture, most churches do, whether they're legalistic or not. And they have their own language and their own, their own way of doing things. The majority of Christian churches representative of the, in the body of Christ generally represent a more liberal approach to Christianity. Um, they're singular in their authority. Often it's just the pastor, sometimes a board or an episcopos. It just depends, but usually it's singular in their authority. And there's no connection of authority within the churches as a whole. There's an absence of demanded rituals or rites. Some churches, for instance, the Calvary Chapel movement, which has, I think, over 1,300 churches worldwide, there are no rites or rituals associated with that church. In fact, there's no membership in that church. You, you, don't, you aren't on a roll. You never sign up as a member. It's you, you go if you want to go. You worship as you want to worship. And they've, they've uh, really blossomed 
since the 60s in, with that approach. There's a lack of dress codes. There's a lack of grooming standards. Uh, now, there can be kind of an implied standard that the people will set in certain congregations, uh, and that comes along with culture, but often the liberty of a, a church, you can wear Levi's to church or you can wear a dress. It, it's, it's up to the individual. And there's also that discontinuity between the churches. There's no one right way. Um, in the face of these differences, Latter-day Saints have often found great solace in the fact that they have conformity, and in that conformity they have unity. And they, they believe that that is a sign of being the true and living church, that God is not an author of confusion, and He's not. And so they believe that because everything in their church is standardized, uh, from the way they give the sacrament prayers to the order of their meetings to the stake structure and on down. And Joseph Smith worked very hard on organizational structure when he was forming the church that they believe that that is kind of evidence of God being with them. They also uh, find great comfort in the fact that it's always the same. And there is comfort in continuity. Without question, there is comfort when things are, have a continuity to them. Um, but it also can become a kind of conform or be cast out kind of thing. If you don't conform to the, even the culture in Mormonism, you often are labeled and cast out. And that's the downside of legalism is that um, if you don't go along with all the rules, everything that is said, then you are uh, standing on the outside looking in and pretty soon you find yourself disaffected, disenfranchised, and in trouble and feeling like you don't have a connection with that body of believers. Hard as this is to hear in Mormonism, and just take this in the context of what I'm talking about tonight, the church in Mormonism, the church is God. You have to understand the thought behind that. Because when the prophet speaks, he's speaking for God. When the bishop speaks for the congregation, he's speaking for God. Because the prophet has us wearing white shirts and ties, that's from God. The sacrament prayer being given a certain way is from God. So the church really embodies what Mormons say is all from him. And to go against the Mormon church, the Mormon culture, the legalism, is to very much go against God. And that's the way legal, legalistic churches work. Christianity, on the other hand, faces an assortment of trials and challenges that the Mormon church very rarely sees. Um, there's a very good sense of diversity and divine diversity within Christian churches. But at the same time, while they are not completely connected, it, it opens up a door for there to be trouble. So where a Christian can go to a different church and go to the one that they need, some churches are more um, demonstrative in their emotions, some church are more reverenced, some church have some ritual, some church have less. Mormons will say it's confusion. But Christians in the, in the body of Christ believe that God has a number of ways to reach all his children who have different views and different things going on in their lives and different needs. And so he provides these, this plethora, I heard that word earlier, plethora of ways, a veritable cornucopia of ways for people to approach him and worship him and see him. And uh, that is not a bad thing. That is a liberating thing. Think about these scriptures. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When you go to a religious institution that demands conformity, 
in areas that are not essential to salvation or your walk with the Lord, you are under a yoke of bondage. I'm, I'm, I mentioned this, I think, the other show. I'm working on a book, a uh, second book, and this one's fiction. And I figured out that by the time a young man is 19 years old, he's heard at least 6,200 on a very conservative basis testimonies of the church is true. Joseph Smith was a prophet. And so you have this inculcation in your head, and it's very tough to break away from those forms. It's very tough to think that if you don't wear the white shirt, then God's disappointed with you. And these things can't be further from the truth. Legalistic churches have benefits. They have order. They have continuity. They have power. But it doesn't make them true. If you look at the U.S. military, they demand uniforms. They demand a certain co uh, code of conduct. They demand certain health uh, provisions in their uh, soldiers. They demand certain actions and behaviors. They demand you to get up at a certain time and to do certain things. And all that, that stuff is very good for molding people who need direction. But it doesn't make the U.S. military of God. It just makes it an institution that is easier to follow. In the LDS church, it's very easy to follow along because the decisions have been made for you. You don't have to think for yourself. When someone asks, what do you wear to church? You already know it's been done. If someone wonders if this is right or not, they've told you. Boyd K. Packer one time said, echoing another prophet, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done. So you have to understand the mindset of legalistic churches relative to the body of Christ. All this being said, what I'm about to say is going to sting a little bit to the Christian churches. Because where you have the fallout in the Mormon church of conformity and the demands of falling in line, in the Christian churches, liberty often opens up to people taking power plays, people being rude, people out for money, fleecing the sheep instead of feeding the sheep, and, and you have infighting like no other. Now, I was talking with a very reputable Christian man the other day, and he said, you know, if I didn't, or he didn't actually say this, I said this, but in the conversation, we both agreed that if it wasn't for our being changed by God and knowing the Bible like we do, Mormonism would be a great religion. And it's very easy to go to it because it has order, it has the peace, it has, it's mundane, and it gets very dry and things. But man, if you don't know the difference between the living God and a dead God, the Mormon church is the one to go to because it gives you some, some completeness. Whether when you sometimes step into the body of Christ, which is very unfortunate, you have people who are leading those churches whose own personal agenda has gotten in the way of what needs to be said and done from the pulpit. There's a tendency for that to occur. Now, if you look at the Berlin Wall, the communist side, the East, East Germany side, was completely orderly and clean. That wall had nothing on it that was no graffiti, nothing that was bad, it was clean, but it was communist run. And so it had no disorder. When you just flipped over on the other side of the wall and you looked at the West Berlin side, the free side, it was covered in graffiti and it was covered with trash and people did what they wanted. And that's kind of a good parallel to the churches. If you look on the East Berlin side, you have the Mormon legalism that can keep a clean wall and can keep things orderly. But the people are under a yoke that is beyond belief. But then when you go to the other side and you look at the Christian church, which has the truth and has the spirit of Christ in many of them, you have chaos. And that is an unfortunate uh, scene, especially here in Utah. And so we are constantly being asked to recommend churches. 
And, and there are many churches in Utah. I've been to a number of them, and I know a, a number of pastors who are beautiful people. And the infighting is at, at a minimum there. And they're out just to help the sheep. They're helped to feed them and teach them and carry them along and not get caught up in the political junk. But also in the state of Utah, and this is to the Christian pastors if you're listening, there's a lot of junk that goes on, power plays. And it's really ridiculous if we think that we're representing a good view to the Mormon people looking in. We're not. It's a failure in my, in my opinion. Yes, I'm being outspoken to you, but I'm outspoken to the Mormons too. And this is just the truth when it comes to the church locally. I am asked, like I said, about what church I should go to. I'm coming out of Mormonism, and I get probably maybe one to two emails or requests a week for that. Have you ever gone to a restaurant that was really, really good or a movie that was really good, and you asked, and, you, and after you saw it, you said, oh, I've got my family has to see this. The people I love have to see it. My neighbor has to see this movie or has to eat at this restaurant. And so you take them to the restaurant, and it's not the same thing. It's a bad meal, the service is lousy, and it's an ugly experience. That's embarrassing, and it's detrimental. We're talking about a restaurant here. What about a religion where people are walking from one totalist methodology of legalistic church into another one, and what they see are, are things that are contrary to biblical truth? So I have four recommendations. We're going to open up the phone lines now, but I'm going to give you three or four recommendations of what I think are very important in a church. And if you go and search for churches, and we're going to be recommending more and more, but when you go out and look for a church that you can understand the Word and the Lord better, consider these four, these four areas. All right? The first area is they teach the Word. They teach the Word of God. That means that people carry their Bibles to that church. If you have a pastor who gets up and puts on a show and nobody who's visiting that church, big or small, carries a Bible, you have a place where the Bible is maybe being taught, but I doubt it's sinking in. Now, I might sound like a legalist here, but that is just the case. If you really want to strengthen the sheep, and you really want to strengthen people, have them learn the Word of God. Nothing else will strengthen them, and, and when people come to know the Lord, there's a battle that rages in their lives, and they need that strength. So the Word of God has to be taught. Personal uh, stories um, and, and uh, seeker-friendly stuff or big screen TVs with great bands mean nothing if the Word of God is not taught to the people. Now, my mom fed me a number of really good meals, obviously, when I was younger and it's carried over to today. I can remember very few of those meals specifically, and I probably had thousands when I think about it. But I know I was fed well. I know that she cared for me well and fed me well and took care of me that way. And that's what people need to feel when they walk from a church. They may not remember your specific things, but they're going to know that they were fed well. That's, that's primary to a, a people coming to know the Lord. The second thing is they worship God. They worship Him in prayer, in thanksgiving, with good music, with music that can touch them. Some churches have a, a very uh, uh, young uh, music taste. Some people have older, but worship is vitally important. These are four W's. Don't mean to have a cheesy alliteration, but that's how it is. The fifth one is that the people walk with God. 
and that there isn't a, a, a licentiousness that comes with the liberty, a licentiousness towards sin, toward uh, things of this world, that there is a walk with God, and that usually starts at the pastor's level. His attitudes and the way he thinks about life and people and doctrines, they are going to carry through to the people in the congregation. If you have a, a pastor that's all they're caring about is money or bashing on the Mormon church, and they do that constantly and constantly, and they build kind of a thing off that, walk away from it. It's not worth it. All right? Go to someone who's going to teach the word, who's going to teach worship, who walks with God, and finally, a church that witnesses God, where their people are sharing, either through example or through outright evangelical ministry, someone who's interested in missions and sending people out to share the word. So we have the four W's of a good church. I've given those to you. Uh, we can talk about that more. But uh, I challenge the Christian churches in Utah, the churches that a Latter-day, that they be a church that Latter-day Saints would feel welcome coming to and other people. But I say Latter-day Saints because this is an LDS state primarily. Don't soft sell the truth, but, but sell it in love. I challenge that each of the pastors feed the flock with the word of God, not fleece or beat them. I challenge every Christian church in Utah to lovingly share the truth with your Mormon neighbors, every person. And I challenge you, Christians, to walk away from any Christian church that is not teaching you the word of God, that is built on stories or listen to this hot uh, sermon and not teaching you the fundamentals of what the word is. That's going to strengthen the state. So let's go to the phones. We've got Douglas and Murray on LDS legalism. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Douglas? Yes, I'm here. You're here. Um, the Mormon Church, the Mormon Church has a tremendous works along with um, their saving and eternal life. And part of that is their law of progression. They are married in the temple, sealed for all time and eternity. They sustain the general authorities twice a year at the general conferences. They live as righteously as possible so that they can obtain the highest celestial kingdom and progress through the eternities and become gods and goddesses of their own right. right. Uh, the Mormons do believe that all of the membership of the church will be in heaven but to either the telestial, the terrestrial, or the celestial. And the celestial is where you go on in the eternity. Right. So, so it's important to understand their motive behind their works. I understand, Only yeah. different than other churches. Okay. Good clarification. Good for the audience to hear that clarification. I agree with all of it. And uh, thank you, Douglas. Let's go to Denny in South Salt Lake. Denny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, can barely hear you, Denny. I'm from out, out of state, and I have uh, several succinct questions. I learned in college to be succinct. Succinct, all right. Three seconds here. Uh, first of all, uh, what, what is the belief of the, the Trinity for the Mormon? You know, the Trinity uh, is it is it like the Christian Trinity? No, the Mormons believe the difference really is not as significant as people think. The Mormons believe in uh, a three. A separate and distinct entities in the Godhead. Uh, and just like Christians believe, three separate and distinct entities, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. The difference is that they believe in God the Father is God. Jesus and the Holy Ghost are not God. And that God the Father has a body of flesh and bone, which is a significant departure 
from the Christian idea that God is a spirit, God the Father. Okay, and the next one was uh, about some of these questions you know you hear when you when you go to uh, you know like street talk or in a in a restaurant or a gathering, you know. Yeah. But the, the baptism of the dead, do they do they believe that that by doing that, uh, if the person's unsaved their whole life and dies unsaved, that they can they can then do that and be and save them? Yeah. Uh, what they do is they believe that baptism is an ordinance that every single person has to have. And so they believe that if there are people on this earth who didn't hear the LDS gospel and die, then those people, what are they going to do if they haven't had baptism? So they perform vicarious ordinances for dead people in their temples. And when those people have had the vicarious ordinance, meaning someone being baptized for them, then that person in the spirit world, when they hear the LDS gospel, if they accept it there, will have had the baptism done for them. Okay, and the other just one was, as a side point, just to let you know, they also believe that not only is baptism necessary, but they believe that a washing and anointing, uh, which is another temple rite, and they also believe that sealing to a family and receiving an endowment are essential to salvation. And so they do those vicarious works in the temple for the people who have passed on. That's why genealogy is so important to them. That was my next question. You got genealogy, uh, uh, I, I heard about that, and I looked that up in the... Uh, in the Bible, you know, through the concordance, and there, there's two passages that, are, that speak... Uh, endless no, genealogies. Not heat, no heed and endless genealogies. First Timothy 1, 4. Foolish questions in genealogy, Titus 3, 9. That's great biblical references. We haven't gotten to temples on our show yet, but I'm, we're going to, and we're gonna, I was going to get to those, but thank you for bringing them up because they are important. And then the, la the last thing, uh, uh, marriage in heaven... In the Bible, doesn't it say that there will be no marriage in heaven? Yeah, they interpret that to mean there's not going to be any marriages going on in heaven. That people aren't going to go to heaven and get married, but there will be marriage, married people in heaven. So they, they interpret that verse as uh, either that or they might say it was uh, not translated correctly. But when I've heard it explained, it's when you die and, and the judgments happen and everything else, there will be no more marriages in heaven. And do Mormons actually think they, by, by themselves they can be perfect? You know, that's uh, debated. I don't think that that's doctrine. I think they think they can become perfect in some areas, but uh, not completely perfect until they pass on. Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling. We're going to Grant and Payson. Grant, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. <clears throat> My question is, why do you uh, consider Mormons non-Christian? Non-Christian? Okay, I got to clarify. I don't consider Mormons non-Christian because I know of Mormons who are Christian and are progressing in their knowledge of Christ. Mormonism, I definitely consider non-Christian because Mormonism teaches things that are contrary to what the Bible does about Jesus um. in addition to salvation. I was going to ask you, who appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith in, in uh, 1820? In 1820? Yeah. Well, it depends on what version you're talking about. But uh, Joseph said that God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to him. So, if indeed Christ did appear, then yeah. we would be Christians. If indeed Christ did appear, I guess you would be. So, what I would 
I'd like to say to other people is they can know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Okay. Uh, Are you bearing testimony of Joseph? If uh, you read the Book of Mormon, yeah, you'll know by the Spirit that it came from God. Oh, I see. Just like the, the Muslims know that the Holy Quran, the most correct book on earth, is from God too? Is it that Spirit that teaches you that it's the most correct book? I don't know about their experience, but... Well, that's their experience. The problem is, is you're relying on subjective feelings to tell you whether something's true or not. We rely on the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Well, how do you know what that is compared to a, a Jehovah's Witness who says that their spirit tells them what they believe is true? Where, where do you, how do you decide which Other feeling? Say, but, uh, I know from my own experience mm -hmm. that's, that's the truth. Yeah, I, I would differ with you, obviously, but I think that feelings are, are a dangerous road to go down in establishing truth. I think that's why God gave us the Word of God, which can give you definitive truth from the mouth of His prophets, from provable, provable places in history, and not from the idea of a man's mind who says, hey, there was an ancient civilization that came here, and this is what they said, or I looked at these mummies from Egypt, and this book came from that. You know, that, that takes a great deal of belief in one man's view. I take all the 66 writers of the books of, uh, the, of the Bible over that every time. Well, we believe the Bible is... You believe it as far as it's translated correctly? Yes. And, as far, and that means as far as it coincides with what your other religious beliefs are? Yeah. But that's not believing the Bible, my brother. That's just not it. I mean, I would love to sit down with you another time. We can on this show, but, you know, you can reach me uh, at the station if you want to set up a time to go through and let's look at the Bible and what it really teaches exegetically. That means not reading into it, just reading what it says. I yep. think that you would find that Mormonism does not teach what's in the Bible. Well, it, it does. Okay, brother. We got to go on. We got Sage. Thanks for calling and call back. I'm not cutting you off. It's just we try to keep it moving fast. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Right. Sage and Sugar House. Sage, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I was wondering why you guys don't accept gay marriages and gay relationships. Who's 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 new guys? The Mormons or the Christians? Mormons. I'm not Mormon. Who's Mormon? Why are we talking about Mormons and how come how come Mormons don't believe in gay marriage? Why can't we get married in the temple? Uh, well, I think they don't believe in gay marriage uh, because the uh, scriptures teach against it. Well, it doesn't. Where does it say in the Bible what, or the Book of Mormon that we cannot have gay marriage? Well, it, th here's the thing: it doesn't say in the Bible or the Book of Mormon either that you shouldn't look at internet pornography either. It doesn't say in the Bible that you shouldn't take a child to the beach and and do something sickening to it. There's a lot of specifics that don't say it directly in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is a model of God's will and truth for man. And in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't Eve and Jane, and it wasn't Adam and Bruce. It was Adam and Eve. That's his plan. And if you read through what marriage is and how the man has a responsibility to love his wife and a woman has a responsibility to respect her husband, then you have problems right there taking it from that point, you can go to a, a logical explanation of it. How do you populate the world, which is a commandment to, to, to multiply and replenish the earth if you're going to be married, if you're gay? It's so, artificial uh, insemination. Oh, I see. I see. Well, that, that is right along with God's plan, huh? Well, God, God made us all the way we are, and if we weren't born with it... And okay, so were you born gay? Were you born gay? Yeah. Okay, you need to be born again. 
That's the point of this whole show. <laughs> I got you on that one, didn't I? We need to love everyone. Jesus loves everyone. Is, you know what? Jesus might love you, but he's not going to excuse your sin. He's like, you know, Jesus, my, my sin isn't to love. What? My sin is to be gay. Your, your sin is to be gay? Listen, I want to tell you, it's not your homosexuality that's going to keep you out of heaven. And, I, and this is a real radical thing to say, but it's not. Did you know that? I'm going to heaven even if I have a wife. Even, okay. I love my wife just as God would want me to. Okay, good luck with that one, baby. <laughs> We're going on to Greg on line two. Greg, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, concerning uh, what would be known to the Mormon people as the word of wisdom, I was curious as far as legalism is concerned inside the Mormon church and outside the Mormon church, even in different Christian churches, yeah. what your opinion would be um, in the use of uh, coffee and tobacco. Um, I know the Bible speaks of alcohol. Yeah. My personal opinion, and uh, in fact, that my mentor in, the, in Christianity, Chuck Smith, would differ with what I'm about to say, but uh, my personal opinion is coffee and uh, tobacco uh, do not make a difference to God. Uh, alcohol, I don't think it makes a difference to God. What I think makes a difference to God is if you, uh, if you lose your freedom and your will to follow Him because of those things. Now, I think you live a much better life, a cleaner life, a better life without those things. Absolutely. I would live a better life if I didn't eat bacon cheeseburgers every Tuesday. But I don't think it's legally binding to the salvation of a person in what they take in their body. Jesus was really... Um, emphatic on that. It's not what you take in. It's what comes out of the mouth that matters. And I really take that to heart. I know so many good people who are addicted to the things of this world that uh, have the Lord in their heart. And I believe that the Lord understands that. So I don't have a legalistic stance on, on those things. Okay. Thank you. All right, brother. You take care. Bye. We uh, have a pause, a respite, if you will. And I'm going to read some quick questions here. Uh, the lines are full still. I'm sorry if they're full and if they're, you're getting a recording, please call back uh, and just keep trying. If not, we will record your question and answer it later. Quickly, quickly. Uh, Aaron from Twilla said that uh, she knew when the exact time and date when she was born again and that that is a very important and telling uh, a part of the process. I think that's generally true. I don't think anything is, I think we can't put God in a box on every circumstance. Generally, people seem to know when or about when that, that happens. So, uh, good point. Have I been through the temple from Brittany? Brittany? Yes, I've been through the temple. And uh, I used to go regularly, every week, in fact, when I was uh, first married. Are your shows on video? Uh, yes, they are available on streaming video online. Uh, Let's see, please, uh, this is from Jenny in Centerville. Please pray for Michael, who has been severely hurt in Iraq. And we lift Michael up to the Lord right now. Lisa uh, says, Born Again Mormon is a must read for every Christian in LDS. Lisa ordered the book, I guess, and read it. And this is it, Born Again Mormon, Moving to Christian Authenticity. And uh, if you can't afford this book, Please uh, write to us and we'll send it to you. If you can afford it, it's $9.99. And uh, you can get it on our site at www.bornagainmormon.com. It's not anti-Mormon literature, but it might help you understand the Christian view and the LDS view of God. Uh, quickly, a couple more. Uh, Pamela, who is now a gospel singer, once had a burning in the bosom. What was that? And I would think that that would be uh, 
some kind of feeling. I don't know what generated it, but I don't think burning in the bosom is the way to judge truth, uh, Pamela. And I think you found that out because you're no longer LDS. Thank you, dear. All right, we're going to John in Salt Lake City. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, I got a quick question for you. All right, man. Um, how do Mormons believe that everything that they stand for was founded by a guy who looked into a hat and found a religion? Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think most of them know. When we were when we were kids, I'm 40, 45, 44, But when we were kids, they used to show us pictures in primary of Joseph Smith sitting at a table with golden plates and looking at those and a scribe writing. And most Latter Day Saints believe that that's how they actually translated the Book of Mormon. Now that's far fetched as it is. Absolutely. But um, they. Uh, most of them don't know that he didn't use the plates at all to translate from them. Instead, looked in the hat, like you said, and looked at a rock or received inspiration from other places. Uh, it was usually looking in the, the rock in the hat and dictating what the book was supposed to say. So uh, it's a good question and it's a good point. I would suggest that if you're interested in learning about that Latter-day Saints, go to uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministries, who do an excellent job of that kind of research and to get the information from there. Thanks so much. Take care, buddy. We're going to Steve in Bountiful. Steve, is this my friend, Steve? Hey, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, I, I enjoy your show. It's very interesting. Um, one question I have where uh, one time I heard you say Someone wrote in and they said, you know, do I have to say that you won't put this on air? Um, anyway, I hear you talk about the eighth article of faith a lot. That yeah. the, that's the one that talks about believing in the Bible as far as it is translated correctly. Yeah. Um, like, here's the question I have, um, and I don't know if you do it, but um, would you ever think of putting, since you quote that one quite a bit, put all of the articles of faith on your um, homepage website? Oh, sure. Yeah, I have no problem doing that. Like on, on the front homepage where, you know, so people, because to me, uh, I've seen your show several times and you don't seem to, to quote hardly any of the other ones. So yeah. it would just let people, you know, people who call in, if they go to your website, they'd be able to see what Mormons actually believe in. Okay. Um, let me ask you, are you LDS or Christian? Um, I am LDS. Okay. And um, Jesus is my Savior. Okay. Do you think that it was going to help people understand LDS more by reading those 13 articles than me just talking? See, the reason I talk about the one is because that's part of our ministry, is to get Latter-day Saints to view the Bible differently. Okay. But uh, I'll, I can put all 13 up, but do you think they're going to be impressed with Mormonism when it says that? I don't think you, it, it, you know, we're trying to impress. I just think you know, if people are wondering about Mormonism, yeah. No, because if they watch your show, which I have several times, right. I hear you quote number eight. Yeah. I've, I haven't heard you quote any of the others pretty much. Yeah. And so I was just wondering, you know. I'll, I'll be glad to do it. Uh, uh, but what I was going to say is, you know, when it does say that you are saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, um, huh? I, I don't want to start an automatic rejection on the site. I mean, I can do that, but I, but that's a point well taken. If you think it would be good, I'll, I'll be glad to do it. Look on the site in the next uh, few days. And I'll try to get it up. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're a good a good thing. You know, trying to bring bring people to Christ. Definitely. Th thanks, man. I appreciate your call. You're welcome. Keep watching, Steve. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Uh, <clears throat> more quickly. <clears throat> I can't believe you have such a slothful person on your TV station. His shirt is open. 
And, uh, you know, I want you to know that the way I think is I want to present as who I am. How you see me here, this is how I am in public. This is how I go to church, like it or not. You are, you're getting what I am. And uh, if I'm slothful to you, apologies, but I'm not slothful to my wife or the Lord or my children. And they, they like me and this is my style. So uh, baptism for the dead we covered. And uh, listen, this one, I, I have to tell you, Penelope in Clinton, Clinton, Utah. She was born and raised in Utah, raised LDS, has four children. The first two oldest, she says, are still LDS, 30 and 32. They have children and they are having difficult, miserable times with the legalism. This is her call today. She was sitting in an LDS church, listen to this, and they were singing, Oh, it is wonderful that he should care for me enough to die for me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. And she had a spiritual experience with the Lord. And as she was driving down the street a while later, she said, Jesus, I want to know more about you. And she saw a sign on a, on a Christian church, and she went into that Christian church. And now she's a full-blown, born-again Christian out of the church. And she came to know the Lord, sitting in the LDS church, searching for Jesus. Don't call me and tell me you can't come to know the Lord when you're searching for him if you're a Mormon. That you have to extract first from the church. If you're LDS, you can come to know the Lord legitimately through your faith and your prayers to him and believing he will change your life. Penelope, it's a, a, a great testimony. Uh, we're going to Rochelle on line two. Rochelle from Salt Lake City. Hi. Hi. Hey, um, I was just telling the lady on the phone that um, for, I think it was Sage that was calling and she had some questions about if there were any scriptures in the Bible about homosexuality. Uh-huh. And there are actually four. There are four. Yeah, um, the first one is Leviticus 18.22. Man with man? Um, yeah, where it's forbidden. Uh-huh. Um, and then 1 Kings 14.24, where it's considered an abomination. Uh-huh. Um, Leviticus 20.13, where um, it's, it, I think that's the one where it says man with man. Okay. And then um, Romans 1.24.26 and 27, uh-huh. unclean. Calls it unclean? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, another thing is I just wanted to maybe shine some light on this. I had my husband and I are youth group leaders, uh-huh. and I was dealing with one of our youth who was dealing with homosexuality, uh-huh. and God showed me how to, because I didn't, I've never really dealt with too many people who have that, you know, feel like they've been born with it. So right. um, where she was struggling with it, well, God made me this way, but God showed me that it's just like anything else, you know, a boy might have a problem with pornography or, um, you know, all these other things or, right. you know, whatever. You might have some kind of a sin, right. but just because you have it doesn't mean you were born with it and that you have to stay that way. God can deliver you from it. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just something that you have to let God cleanse you of, even if you like it. Yes, you do. And, you know, uh, I, we could really open a can of worms here, Rochelle, and I could go into some thoughts I have on it. But I don't want to do that. I really appreciate you bringing the scriptures up because it does reinforce the general message about man and women, uh, men and women. And just because you think you're born with it or whatever, it doesn't make it right in any way, shape, or form. Right. It's just like any other sin that you just have to deal with. That's right. Thank you so much for calling, Michelle. Thanks. We're going to Steve in Ogden. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. Hi, Sean. Hey, I just wanted to ask you a quick question here. Uh, due to the fact that LDS 
believe that there's precious truths taken from the Bible and, and added to and so on and so forth. Uh, I want to get your opinion on what you uh, think about the Nicene Creed, 325, uh, 325 AD, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like Constantine and, and his spiritual gurus of the day. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that creeds are uh, sort of part and parcel with, um, with uh, religion. I've read the Nicene Creed and uh, and uh, what was the other what's the other big creed that Anna uh, Anna I can't think of it uh, anyway I've read both of them I, there was a number of there's like seven I've read three of the seven but I had no I had no problem with them reading them because I thought they were in light with uh, the scripture as a whole but uh, to me the scripture is what needed and the, they didn't really have access to that at that time so they started forming the creeds but. When you have the Word of God in your hands, I think that uh, you don't need the creeds. But well, that was kind of my question, too. I mean, are these, were these men actually men of God? I mean, Constantine, they, they say he was a Christian. I've heard so many different versions. He, he died on his deathbed. They baptized him Christian, so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I just uh, it seems like they kind of made it up as they went yeah. to satisfy the times yeah. without getting into the whole thing. I think you're right, and, and the, the problem is Latter-day Saints will attack Christianity by saying, well, you know, look at those creeds, they're what's formulated your church. But you know what, in some cases that may be true, but, you know, Bible-believing churches, I don't see them holding the creeds up and saying, we have to follow this exactly. I don't think the creeds have overridden what's written in the Word of God at all. So, to me, they are like secondary applications to the Christian, building of the Christian church, but I don't think they built it. Okay, thanks, sir. Hey, man, thanks for calling. We'll talk to you again. We're going to Ryan and Draper on line one. On line two. Hi. Hey. Hey, um, I've got a, a question along the same lines. Um, I was wondering, you know, with the Bible, I, I feel in my life, I feel like everything that we have in life changes so much. Uh -huh. And how did the Bible, the Word of God, stay the same for these 2,000 years? How do we know that we can trust it? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, when the Christian churches say that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, they're referring to the original manuscripts. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it takes uh, a scholarly approach. And, and you know what? I'm going to give you an answer that I use in my book, and I don't know if it's going to suffice to the scholars out there, but the Bible is true and infallible, I don't use verba espissimus. That's what the big word is. Verba, the is really spelled verba, but it's verba espissimus. And it means that every single word is exactly from God in, every, in the translation that you're reading. And I don't go by verba espissimus. What I go by is that God can take any reputable translation that has been brought forward by scholarly research, and when someone's reading that, he can operate in their lives to the, his perfect will. That is how I take it. Now, uh, as far as different translations, man, you can have a translation of the Bible going from English to uh, Tagalog to and you're gonna have problems. Yeah. So, you know, as far as it being infallible, I believe it is because I believe that those people who have been spiritually reborn read the Bible with God's eyes as long as they're searching for truth. With that being said, um, okay. is there a specific Bible then? It, it doesn't matter. Just You can choose the NIV. You can choose the King James Version. The you know, it's a, it's a battle. Uh, I, I associate with a Bible school, Bible college, and the battles are going on there. Which one is better? I mean, I like the new King James Version. I love the King James Version, but that's because that's what I was taught as a Latter-day Saint. 
Um, the, there's a lot of ones that, that say uh, the NIV is the, is the best. I, you know what Bible I like? If you want to find a Bible and read it that will really teach you the gospel, it's called the Pilgrim Edition of the King James Version. It's a beautiful Bible, and it gives you some great stuff. If you can find it, they're tough to find. But it is, and you know, and, but when you think about that, well, look at, he can't even recommend a straight Bible. That's because people have different tastes. They have different intellects, and God is very good at making uh, diversity open to his believers. Okay, thank you. All right, guy, thanks for calling. We're going to Carol on line three. Carol, first-time caller on line three. Uh, yes, um, I, I read and I heard that um, in the temple when you're, uh, you know, married or sealed or what have you, that um, they, they touch your private parts. Uh, in the ritual. Is that true? That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. Um, they, uh, they go through and they do a washing and anointing that's similar to a, a, a baptism if you were being sprinkled and they do a certain ritual, but it's not true that they touch private parts. Okay, because my, my daughter's uh, Mormon and uh, what have you, and I just, uh, it, it's been so hard for me to uh, deal with this whole situation being a Christian yeah and uh, then I heard that and I really <laughs> yeah that's that's you know uh, it's just not true I've heard that uh, over my life too and made me kind of scared to go to the temple the first time well since you've been there you <laughs> yeah. ought to know yeah hey you know what you should give your daughter uh, my book please uh, 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 leave your name and number or if you want it and I'll send you one uh, for free and you can give her that book I think you'd like it you know, I watch your show, and I've got my girlfriend watching tonight, and uh, God bless you. You're a real uh, inspiration to us. Thanks so much for watching, and thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Jeff in Provo. Jeff, you are a first-time caller. Hey, I am just wondering why you left the church exactly. Exactly? Yeah. What, what was the reasoning? Because I'm not Mormon, and I have a lot of Mormon friends, because I live in Provo, obviously, and and they seem to be like great people. I was just wondering what your reason was for leaving. They are great people. Uh, I wasn't in the church because of the people, and I wasn't out of the church because of the people. No one offended me. Uh, in a long story short, I left the church because of doctrine, but and it's because the doctrine could not get me to a place where I knew God. It got me to a place where I could perform religious practices but it didn't get me to a place where I had a relationship with him. And I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. And because I couldn't really know him, I began to flounder. I, went, I fell into sin. And I recognized sin as being opposite of God's will. And so I was tortured by the fact that I wanted to know God with all my heart and be in good standing with him, but that I sinned and I could not keep myself clean or in front of him the way that I knew that I should. And so this, this problem drove me to a point to where I got to my knees, so to speak, and I had an experience at the side of the road where um, I was reborn, and that changed my life completely. Does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. Thank you. All right, man. You take care, Jeff. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Um, you know what? We're going to end the calls there. If you still have questions, call the operators. We'll take them. Uh, we appreciate you calling. You can get our book, Born Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity, 
at www.bornagainmormon.com. And if you need that free, we'll send it to you free. If you can pay for it, you can do that on PayPal on the site or send us a check. Um, I want to end with a quick story. There, there was a group of mountain climbers who were going to take a day trip. And um, the, the leader of the group, he met with them the day before, and he told them, hey, listen, all you're going to need is a rope and a bottle of water. And at the back of the room, another guy said, listen, I've I, I know mountain climbing. I've climbed a lot of them in my life, and you're going to need more than that. We could hit bad weather. You might need a tent. You might need a sleeping bag if we get stuck up there. You might need food. You're going to need a whole bunch of other stuff besides just this rope and tent. I'm not sure I trust what you're saying here. And the, and the guide said, listen, I've, I, I climbed this mountain. You're just going to need a rope and bottled water. And um, so the guy at the back of the room got mad and, and he left and he decided to climb the, uh, the, the mountain on his own the next day. And he had his backpack and it was full of all the things that he could possibly need and he started to climb. And as he climbed, he, he grew very, very exhausted. And so he got rid of the thing he didn't need the most and he threw out the shovel and then he got rid of some cans and he got rid of some, some dried foods and he got rid of the sleeping bag. And, and as he was throwing those things away and continued to climb, he could see other things scattered all along. And he was exhausted as he kept climbing and climbing and he had to rid himself of more and more and more and more stuff until when he got to the, to, to the top of the summit, as he sat there, he realized that the only thing he really needed was the uh, rope and the bottle of water. The rest of the uh, climbing crew came up and uh, with all the people and who followed the guy's instructions and, and, all, and, 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 the, and they realized that uh, this guy had discarded all that stuff along the way. And I really think that's the way you're going to find salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion can heap upon your back all kinds of things they say you need. They can say you need this. They can say you need that. You must do this. You have to do that. You have to go this route. And it is antithetical to the liberty, the message of Jesus Christ, who said, you come unto me and I will give you life. He is the way. He is the life. He will give you a new heart. And by coming to him, you will have that new heart and all that you need, all that you need to live with him once again. Hope you come to Heart in the Park. We'll see you there. And uh, bring a friend, especially if you're LDS. Come, don't be afraid. We'll see you next week. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't become. This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.